The podcast is That's Interesting. I'm Bill Moser, and I'm talking with Saul Schachter about his new book, Why Does My Social Life Pick Up When I Leave the Country? and other mostly whimsical essays. Saul retired from teaching at North Shore High School in Glenhead, New York, where he taught social studies for 35 years. Saul resides in Seacliff, New York, and his essays are frequently published in Newsday, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Newsweek, Boston Globe, and there are a few others there. Saul, where else have you uh, published? Uh, Toronto Globe and Mail, Family Circle Magazine, uh, Denver Post, uh, Miami Herald. And they paid you so much money that you're a multimillionaire at this point <laughs> from, from your publishing. <laughs> that would be nice, but no, no. Tell us about your experience with the New York Times. Sure. Uh, after that first article appeared, I, I sent them another piece and they accepted it. And then they changed their mind and uh, they decided not to print it, but they sent me a kill fee something like $400, not to print the story. So I wrote him a letter afterwards, and I, I, uh, I thanked them for their check, and I encouraged them to reject me more often in the future. <laughs> That's marvelous. Yeah. Saul, so how did you get into teaching? I always had a, a, a love of children. When I was in high school, they had a, a community service program, and I volunteered at the elementary level, Glenhead School, where I helped out in sixth grade. From then on, I, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And where did you go to school? I, I was local. Uh, I went to uh, Hofstra University. So I've, I got my bachelor's there and then my master's in, um, uh, in history and in elementary education. So I had a dual certification. And your first job in teaching was? I, my first year, I taught at Friends Academy in Locust Valley. I taught third and fourth grade. Then the next year, I taught sixth grade in North Merrick. And then I was hired by North Shore, which is my alma mater, um, the day before school started to teach ninth grade. So uh, some of those students who I had met uh, years ago in sixth grade and who were my Little League uh, players, all of a sudden they were in my classroom. You started North Shore what year? I think it was 1981. Saul, tell us about your book. So why does your social life pick up when you leave the country? Okay. Well, you know, in addition to, uh, to teaching, I always loved uh, to write. In elementary school, I published my own newspapers on the old ditto machines uh, with the blue ink and uh, continued on through uh, junior high and high school. And I received an internship at Newsday to work just for the summer. But uh, we had a, a nice relationship there, so I, they, they – kept me on for a full year. And it was very exciting to work there, but I also realized that it wasn't so as glamorous as I thought it would be. The hours were crazy, and I realized how much satisfaction I got from teaching. So I became a full-time teacher, but I became a freelancer. And I've sold 139 articles since then, since 1980 was the first one. Uh, so I've had the best of both worlds. I've, I've taught and, and I write. Uh, the first article was all about me subbing at my old school. And what happened, I sent it out to different uh, magazines, newspapers, and I got rejection slips and a rejection slip. And then on a whim, I thought, I'll, I'll send it to the New York Times. At least I'll, I'll get a nice rejection slip from the New York Times that I could frame. Well, they surprised me and they bought it. And they published it in the education section. 
And that really gave me a good boost into getting others published because I would send out manuscripts to different publications with a note, uh, a cover letter saying, my last article appeared in the New York Times. Well, it was the only article I had that had been published by that point, but that opened uh, a few doors, I think. What year was it? That was 1980, and I wrote about going back to North Shore to sub for uh, for my old uh, teachers that I had, you know, who were most of whom were still there, and uh, what it was like to uh, to step into their shoes, almost to to uh, adopt their mannerisms. Uh, uh, it was fun. What was uh, what was the essay uh, uh, about? Well, it was about what it was like to go back. For example, I. I my colleagues would call me by the name of the teacher I was subbing for. Oh, you're, oh, you're Gladys today, or you're, uh, you're, you know, you're Helen, you're Vicky, and uh, and I went along with it because it was fun, because I, I was going from uh, being a student to being a teacher, and it was great to see my my friends' kids in school, and uh, my neighbors were in the classroom. Uh, I even had my sister once while I was subbing, and she didn't know what to call me because she really couldn't call me Saul in front of all the other kids, and Mr. Schachter was too formal, so she, she didn't call me anything. She just sort of uh, raised her hand, and I would call on her, and uh, and it made it fun to be in, in the class with with my sister. And the other kids got a kick out of it too, I think. Over your 34-year teaching career, you've seen lots of changes in the classroom from um, – some traditional methods to a lot of structure today mandated by the state. That's That's got to be very difficult for somebody like yourself that has a passion for teaching and, and knows how to engage students. And now it's got to meet deadlines of uh, uh, and standardized testing. Let's explore that a little bit in terms of the transition from the earliest days to uh, before you retired. Sure. In the beginning, uh, we were given more leeway in the classroom to, to uh, find a style that worked with, with children. And my last few years, uh, it changed. We were, everything became more formal. We had to almost teach the same way. And I understand that, uh, you know, the administrators would like to have, you know, the subject matter covered. But it felt, it felt a bit uncomfortable, a bit awkward at times because, uh, you know, Everyone has a different style in the classroom. I worked with some wonderful teachers, and we were all different. It, it made it a little tough, but the work got done, and we can still maintain our personalities and I think our relationship with kids. It wasn't too strenuous for me. Do you have any techniques that you've developed over the course of the years to engage kids that are distracted by uh, smartphones and, uh, right. and and media today? So the attention span is is fairly limited today. Sure, sure. Well, a couple of things I, I did in the classroom. I often, um, I would come dressed up as historical figures. So instead of a, a dry lecture on Abraham Lincoln, there I'd be as dressed as Abraham Lincoln. So no matter what I said, I had their attention. <laughs> when we review famous Supreme Court cases, we turn the class into a courtroom. The kids uh, would be, um, the lawyers and the boys would dress in uh, suits, white shirts, high. The girls would dress in pantsuits or nice dresses. And I was the judge. I came in a long robe, which was my my high school graduation uh, robe. And I'd be the, the judge. And we'd conduct court cases. Uh, we'd put famous people on trial. And to engage some of the students who might be distracted and not interested so much in the uh, curriculum, I always try to set out to find what they were interested in outside the classroom. For example, 
if I had a, a boy who was a hockey fan but wasn't crazy about social studies, I would bring up Wayne Gretzky in class and, uh, and engage the child that way and sort of bring him in. Sometimes I'd even put a name like that on a test. There'd be four names, Abe Lincoln, George Washington, Wayne Gretzky, and, you know. And I think as a result, students appreciated that, they, that the teacher made the effort to get to know them and to find it uh, appealing to them. I always had a philosophy, would I want to be, a, my philosophy, would I want to be a student in my own class? You know, I've sat through some, some dull classes, and, I, and I've learned over the years whether I've, when I've got the kids or when I'm losing them. So that was, that was always my, my philosophy. I'm talking with Saul Schachter about his new book, Why Does My Social Life Pick Up When I Leave the Country? How often do you leave the country? I, I've been to 105 countries now, including uh, North Korea, Syria, Iran. I always call it places that don't want me. I'm there. I travel now, I, I'm retired five years, and I travel about four times a year. And I'm always trying to find something a little different, a little offbeat. Uh, once I flew into Moscow and I ran the Moscow Marathon the next day. I was in Cuba in the 90s before it op officially opened up, but I spotted a little ad in the paper that a communist, a communist group was going from out of New York, and I'm not a communist, but they were going. So I figured, why not? And off I went. Had a great time. Had a great time. You should join the diplomatic corps. Yeah. <laughs> There's always a turnover in the current administration. Yeah. Lots of availabilities <laughs> in, in that sector. Tell us some more about the book here. Tell us about some of the essays you're... Uh, sure. Let's share with our listeners some... Okay. Uh, sure. I have a crush on the U.S. Postal Service. Let's hear that one. Well, okay. That one, uh, um, as you can see, the essays are, are pretty lighthearted, but sometimes with a, a serious, serious tone. I, I sort of wrote a if you will, a love letter to the post office because I was always amazed how you, I can write a letter here on Long Island and it'll get to its destination. It'll get to Italy. It'll get to uh, friends in Uganda or Tanzania. And I'm, I'm just amazed. You know, I, I, I often lose my car keys. I can't find them. But here, a letter will go thousands of miles through many hands it's not dropped. It's not lost. It's there. It gets there. And all at the, when I think when I wrote the article, I think the post, uh, you know, it was 20 cents for a stamp. So I thought, that's, that is just amazing. A housekeeper cleaned up my act. Yes, yes. Oh, let me tell you about that one. <laughs> that was in the New York Times. And I'm a bachelor. And when I was in my 40s, uh, early 40s, I hired a housekeeper. My friend's were delighted because uh, the, the place needed needed some help. And uh, so I wrote about the experience, uh, things like, um, you know, I talked about how she changed my life, how I get up early, like two hours early on the day she comes to to make the house presentable for when she comes to clean up my house. <laughs> the pre-cleaning. The pre-cleaning. You know, I'll get up at five in the morning to <laughs> vacuum and to dust and to make it look okay before she comes. And as a result, I've become more conscientious, more, you know, and my friends think she's wonderful. She just, they just, they just think she's a godsend. Overreacting to 9-11. Yes, that was, that was one of the few serious pieces uh, that I've written. Uh, I just felt uh, right after that happened, there was, there was uh, we, we got more locks at our building, more uh, surveillance. Um, and I just felt it was, it was a bit too much that, you know, we're letting the terrorists win when we react like this. Uh, security is fine, but uh, life... Life goes on and we're strong people. And 
that's what I wrote there. Reading large print books and feeling guilty about it. Yes, that uh, I remember when John Grisham's uh, latest book came out, and there was a long waiting list at the library for it. And I'm I'm there, and I'm I put my name on the list, and then I saw the large print edition was on the shelf. So I thought, well, I'll take that, and I took it out, and then I felt guilty because I felt, ah, oh, people who are vision impaired are waiting for the book, and I've got it, uh, and I would. I was uh, talking about how I'd be on the subway talking about the book to a friend, and I'm on page, you know, 1,612 because it's so big. That's wonderful. Looking for Mr. Roommate. Yes. I'm single, and I often travel by myself. And um, uh, I was once on a uh, trip to the Soviet Union. We had an older man who was on the trip, and he, um, he was a great traveler, didn't complain, carried his own luggage. And when I um, I was going to Vietnam once, and I thought I'd go with someone, and I contacted him. So the article is all about us being roommates and, and getting along so terrifically, and it was a great experience overall. You had an experience with 60 Minutes? Yes, yes. Um, years ago, uh, Andy Rooney, who you, you might recall, who would give a commentary at the end of, his, uh, at the, end of the show, he had been interviewed by uh, a gay magazine, and... Uh, some people interpreted his comments as uh, homophobic, and I thought they were fine. And uh, he was suspended for his actions for like three months. So I wrote 60 Minutes a letter saying I felt the uh, punishment was unfair. He spoke his mind. He wasn't uh, homophobic. Well, I got a call from, uh, from CBS saying that they received uh, thousands of letters, and mine was their favorite. And Mike Wallace was going to read my letter at the end of the show. And the local CBS affiliate here in New York contacted me, wanting to interview me for, for this, because this was going to be the lead story on the 11 o'clock news. And they called about, oh, about 6 o'clock or so, before the show came was on the air. I was dressed sloppily, so I quickly showered, put on clean clothes, um, the show went on, and at the end, there was Mike Wallace reading my letter um, and, and mentioning my, there's my name on the bottom with, uh, with my town. Uh, so I got uh, deluged with phone calls from family, from friends, long-lost uh, uh, relatives, and uh, the news crew came over, and they interviewed me for about 20 minutes. Then I thought this would make a great article. And this was in the this was before email, so this had to be sent, uh, you know, by uh, regular mail. And uh, I wrote and had to write it fast. Other articles can wait, but this had to be done because if it didn't appear within a week or two, it's old news. So I wrote it out real fast, sent it to uh, uh, the New York Times, the Daily News, Post, New York Post, Newsday, and the Washington Post. And it, actually, by the way, when I was on TV, I was just on for like one sentence. That was it. 2.2 seconds of fame there. The Washington Post bought it, and it appeared a couple days later um, with a headline, uh, my 2.2 seconds of fame. And it was all about my experience with, uh, with uh, 60 Minutes. That was it. Give us a little more about the, the letter that y- you didn't get to express fully on the, uh, on the 60 Minutes piece. Whoa. Um, it, was, it was basically saying... That he expressed his opinion, and I, and I didn't find it homophobic, um, and that it was misinterpreted. Um, he should be reinstated, and he was 
uh, after three weeks instead of three months. So I think the letters, not just from me, but from other people, uh, uh, convinced 60 Minutes uh, that they were wrong in disciplining him so harshly. Did you ever have any contact with Andy Rooney? No, never heard from him. In fact, I did write to him. In fact, I think I, I sent him the article from the, uh, the Post. Never heard back. So, ah, his loss. <laughs> Indeed. Let's get back to the book. A couple others here. Growing up in Glen Head. Glen Head is on Long Island in New York. What was it like growing up in uh, Glen Head? It was great. It was a combination of Mayberry, uh, you know, small town America. Everybody knew each other. Uh, we walked to school. And the town hasn't changed too much since then, I think. Uh, a lot of people looking out for each other, uh, people doing volunteer work, keeping it uh, as wonderful as, it, as it's always been. A thank you for a thank you note. This was, I, I believe this was uh, when George Herbert Walker Bush, uh, uh, somebody wrote about how he writes thank you notes for everything. So I, I wrote a piece about that and the importance of it. And I, to this day, I still... Um, um, I go online now when I go to um, uh, department stores or I've been helped out at uh, the pharmacy, and I fill out those forms and compliment uh, people who have gone out of their way to help me. Or, and I think it's it's kind of a lost art. You know, pe often people aren't aren't uh, receptive anymore and uh, grateful to for what other people do. And a thank you note is is always appreciated. I write notes with a fountain pen. Ah. Okay. It's difficult to get ink. You have to, to go <laughs> online. The very stationary stores used to carry ink in bottles, but yes. it's uh, yeah. and then yeah. bottles were replaced with those silly little cartridges. But uh, right. uh, there are a few places on the internet where you can uh, you can buy ink. Actually, at Hofstra every year they have a a pen and ink show. Ah, for yes. of. I don't have Mont Blanc pens for mm -hmm. ten thousand dollars. I you know, and there are some very inexpensive fountain pens that can be had, Japanese fountain pens, sure. for less than $5 that write really well. Wow, well, that's nice. Saul, you're on Facebook. Tell us about your experience with Facebook. It is a mosh pit of egos and people hiding behind keyboards, but it's also a marvelous way of connecting people on a social level. Uh, yes, it's, it's drawn a lot of criticism, but I, I really enjoy it. Um, I've taught, I figured it out, uh, I taught over 3,000 students. Through Facebook, I, I'm, I'm in touch with former classmates and relatives and friends. But my, my favorite, I guess, is hearing from my former students. I've got about 1,500 uh, former students that I'm on that I'm friends with. And I have a couple of rules that you have to be 24 to friend me because often I'm he I would hear from them when they were 14, 15, 16. And I, I, I think the the division is necessary at that age. You, you can't be uh, – friends with a 15, 16-year-old. I don't want to see what they're doing. So uh, I figure at 24, they're out of college or they're working, they're young adults, and that's a proper age. And I had one experience that was uh, kind of fun. Uh, uh, I had this boy, um, and at 21, when he was 21, he friended me. His name was Sam. And uh, I wrote back saying, I'd love to be friends with you uh, on Facebook, but... I have a rule. You have to be 24. Well, three years later on his 24th birthday, he friended me, and I happily accepted. So he's part of, part of the, the group now. I'm Bill Moser, and I'm chatting with Saul Schachter.
about his latest book, Why Does My Social Life Pick Up When I Leave the Country, and other mostly whimsical essays. This is just a marvelous book. Tell us about the watch that spoke Spanish. I was leaving on a trip, like the day before my my uh, watch broke. So I went to Radio Shack and I said, I'll take any any watch, cheapest watch you've got. So the fellow came out with this watch and he uh, he said, it, it works great, but it speaks Spanish. Well, I didn't I didn't understand what that meant, but I, I didn't care. It was a watch. It worked. And it was, I think, seven dollars or so. so. I said, sold. Boom. Then I re- then I discovered what it was all about. Uh, I went on trips and every so often in the middle of public places, it would announce the time in Spanish. And I called it Rosita. I gave it a name and and I, I couldn't turn it off. And it would do this on the hour. So I learned even when I got back from traveling not to go into the movies, let's say at uh, 7 o'clock, I'd go in at 7.03 or uh, 8.12 or a couple of minutes before. Uh, I remember once when it did go off in a movie theater, I I turned around to make it look like it was the person behind me because everybody was looking at me and I turned around and this woman looked horrified, put up her hands in, in uh, protest. Uh, and then uh, and then finally it just uh, automatic, it just turned off one day and uh, I found I missed it. But that was my experience with with Rosita. She kept good time, but didn't want to hear it all. Didn't want to hear it from her. Let's hear one more. Okay. So all you wrote about leaving parties early. Tell us about that. Yeah. One. Well, I'm always uh, grateful to be invited to a party, but I'm always uh, I always find I'm the first one to leave. I go from, you know, I, I always subscribe to the uh, Groucho Marx uh, line of uh, "Hello, I must be going." I go to a party, I, I'm happy to see friends, make new friends, I make the rounds, I have something to eat, and then I find it's time to go. And that has uh, worked for me over the years until the time when my friend invited me to uh, her wedding. She was um, getting married on a ship. And I thought, okay, this time, this time I'm going to be a little bit late because I have found in the past when I've gone to parties, if it's called for, let's say, 8 o'clock, I'm there at 8 o'clock. And no one else's. Uh, the staff might be setting up, and I'm waiting for people to come. So this time I said, nope, I'm going to be fashionably late and come. And so on the day of her wedding, I, um, you know, I took my time at home getting dressed, got, went down to the, uh, the dock, and I discovered everybody was on the ship, and they were waiting to, to take off. I didn't realize the ship was leaving the dock. And there's the bride who's a dear friend looking quite furious from the bow with her, with her, uh, the groom. And uh, they were waiting for me because, uh, you know, uh, we were going off into the sunset. So that was my, that was my experience. So from then on, I'm back to showing up on time, but still leaving early. I'm Bill Moser, and I've been talking with Saul Schachter with his new book, Why Does My Social Life Pick Up When I Leave the Country and Other Mostly Whimsical Essays. Saul how do we get a copy of your book? Is it on Amazon? Yes, it's on Amazon. Uh, or you can purchase it from me. Uh, and I kind of prefer that. I make a, a few extra dollars that way. I can be reached uh, via email. Saul, S-A-U-L-M, as in Martin, Schachter, S-C-H-A-C-H-T-E-R at gmail.com. Okay. I don't have a paper and pencil. Oh, Saul M. Schachter at gmail.com. And that's spelled S-A-U-L-M for Martin. Schachter, S-C-H-A-C-H-T-E-R 
at gmail.com. And so we can contact you if we want to purchase a copy of the book. And it's also available on Amazon, but preferably contact you personally. The podcast is That's Interesting. Our post-production engineer is Chris Maffei. That's Interesting is a production of Moser Media and it's recorded at LIU Studios at Long Island University in Brookville, New York. Thanks for listening and have the best day of your life. 